You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. We've been talking about exposing Kabbalah for weeks now. And, and, and the reason why is because there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of infiltration in the body of Christ. There's a lot of infiltration in Christian doctrine. And no one knows where all this stuff is coming from because we haven't had Kabbalah broken down to us. And, 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 and for that reason, we are unable to discern it many times when it's coming at us. Now, I'm going to dive right in to some review for those of you that are joining us for the first time. And maybe you've heard, you know, Daniel is doing this crazy series, but you have no idea what Kabbalah is. And so we're going to do a brief review like we have every week to kind of catch us up. And tonight we are going to step into the Tetragrammaton, which many of you were excited to hear about last week. And then you got sideswiped with something else. But today we actually are going to talk about Tetragrammaton. And we're going to learn some very, very interesting things. Uh, things that are going to be a little shocking. I am going to step on toes. And it, I just, it can't be helped by nature of the information. It's like, as you go through it, you just can't help, but it's like, okay, this is what it is. So now your toes are going to get stepped on. Uh, what, what am I going to do? Right? So I just have to offend some people. I don't mind. Hopefully <laughs> you don't mind either. Now we're going to start with this. What is Kabbalah? Kabbalah is the ancient Jewish tradition of mystical interpretation of the Bible. First, transmitted orally and using esoteric methods. Kabbalah is an esoteric method, discipline, and school of thought that originates in Judaism. Now, what is the connection to Judaism? It is not possible to discuss Kabbalah apart from a conversation on what is called Judaism or simply Jewish doctrine. Now, some Christians think that Judaism is simply... A study of the Old Testament, which is why many believers are confused as to why followers of Judaism uh, can so firmly deny Yeshua, Jesus Christ. But Jewish doctrine is not limited to the Old Testament that is in our Bible. That is called ignorance. Uh, Jewish doctrine regarding our Old Testament comes primarily from two sources. The Babylonian Talmud is one of them, and it is a commentary on the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah is the first major written collection of the Jewish oral traditions known as oral Torah. In other words, for over a thousand years, the rabbis from one generation to the next passed down this oral Torah, which Jesus rebuked them for in the Gospels. And after the Roman persecution really set in, they decided to write it down lest it would be lost forever. And so when they wrote down all of their oral Torah, that becomes the Mishnah. And then they have all of their conversation about the oral Torah, which becomes the Babylonian Talmud. Uh, it is the first major work of rabbinic literature. And when it comes to Jewish doctrine, the oral Torah is considered by all Orthodox Jews to be basically as divinely inspired as the Old Testament itself. And some go so far as to say it was a superior revelation to the revelation that Moses received on Mount Sinai. So... I am going to show you a slide. Now, this is a graphic that was sent to me on Facebook. And I just, <laughs> all you can do is look at this and shake your head, okay? Now, this is one of the reasons why 
uh, you're not going to hear about everything that the Talmud teaches, uh, because some of the stuff that they teach is, 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 is quite frankly disturbing. So for him, 15, even the best of the Goyim should all be killed. Uh, <laughs> Yebamoth, 98A, all children of Goyim are animals. Baba Mezia, 114B, Gentiles, Goys, are not humans. They are beasts. Remember what we talked about, the difference between Israel and Jews last time. I mean, truly, Israel is the Gentiles because after they began their diaspora, the Northern Kingdom in 722 AD or BC, no one really heard from them. <laughs> so they went into the Gentile nations. Well, the Jews say that the Gentiles are beasts. Gad Shash 2-2, a Jew may violate but not marry a non-Jew girl. Hmm. Abadazara 36b, Gentile Goy girls are in a state of Nida, filth from birth. Hmm. That's positive. Sanhedrin 54b, a Jew may have sex with the child as long as the child is less than nine years old. Sanhedrin 58b, if a Goy hits a Jew, he must be killed. Sanhedrin 57a, when a Jew murders a Gentile, there will be no death penalty. Tospoth, Jebamoth, 84b, if you eat with a Goy, is the same as eating with a dog. Um, okay. You get the idea. They say that this revelation is on par with and superior to the revelation that Moses received on Mount Sinai, which becomes our first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy. Okay, that's orthodox Judaism. Now, they're not going to tell you this. Even if you go to synagogue, they're not just going to be preaching this on their, you know, Sabbath message. But it's it's written down. It's part of their stuff. And and, and truly, the, this works its way into the behind the scenes stuff and, and, and the ritual abuse that happens within the Jewish communities that center on this doctrine. Not that we don't have ritual abuse happening in Christian communities that say they center on the Bible, right? Ritual abuse is everywhere. It's in the Mormon church. It's in the Catholic church. It's in the Jewish synagogues. It's, it's, but, but truly, th th this doesn't go away, right? So now you know a little bit more about the uh, Babylonian Talmud. And, and, and these are some of the commentaries from which, you know, people that try to go into Hebrew roots are deriving their Hebrew worldview from. They're, they're going to texts that are supposedly going to flesh out our understanding of our Old Testament according to Hebrew wisdom. But some of these texts are found in the Babylonian Talmud, right? Because that's our Hebrew, that's the wisdom that we didn't get in our, like, the, and this is some of the problem. Like people don't see it coming on the front end and, and, and then you nosedive later on uh, because of curiosity. Now, uh, the, exiting the Babylonian Talmud, we move into Kabbalah and Kabbalah is what we are actually exposing, <laughs> which in itself means to receive. Uh, it is a collection of all Jewish esoteric books. Even the most conservative Jewish rabbis that are Orthodox uh, today consider that um, the Kabbalistic works deserve credence. If for nothing else, academic study. 
The primary texts include the Zohar, which is the Book of Splendor, the Sefer Yetzirah, the Book of Formation, the Book of Mysteries, the Gate of Reincarnations, and three Enoch. And one may want to think that Kabbalah can be separated from Judaism, but this notion is dismissed by their own admission in their own writings. So why are we talking about it? Well, we're spending all these weeks right now where we're in, we are in week seven, can you believe it, on exposing Kabbalah. And we're taking all this time to expose because it's not of God. Kabbalah is not of God, yet it's influenced major areas of Christendom. And since there are many believers that don't even know what it is, they don't know what its beliefs are, know how to identify it when its influence has poisoned the waters in the body of Christ. Kabbalah teaches an esoteric template for man and creation known as the Kabbalah tree. It is a source of revelation for students of the deep occult. Thus, we're going to learn why Kabbalah at its core is a doctrine of demons and a revealing of the government of Lucifer. And we start with the fruit, right? If you want to know the root, look at the fruit. What has Kabbalah produced? Some famous students that we've gone over every week. I hope you've looked up some of these guys because <laughs> they are a rowdy bunch. Eliphas Levi, who led the occult revival of the 1800s. McGregor Mathers, one of the three founders of the Order of the Golden Dawn and mentor of Aleister Crowley. H.P. Blavatsky, one of the founders of the Theosophical Society. A.E. Waite who wrote many occult texts and books on divination, esotericism, Rosicrucianism, and Freemasonry. Manly P. Hall, famous Freemason, author of The Secret Magic of the Kabbalah, and Albert Pike, author of Morals and Dogma, famous Freemason as well, from the 1800s. Now, a couple of scriptures I've been quoting to you every week, um, Titus 10, or 1, 10 through 14. It says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them shortly that they may be sound in the faith not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. And Jewish fables include the uh, fantasy lore of Kabbalah, this corrupt cosmology that it teaches that is entirely antichrist. It's a Jewish fable. Second um, Corinthians 11, 14, 11 verses 1 through 4. You can read that again for yourself if you want to. Now, uh, just a little bit more detail, and then we're going to dive. Um, the Zohar, one of the books of Kabbalah, goes into great deal on the 10 Sephirot and the creation story they reveal. In Kabbalah, this tree is referred to as the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, both. It's, it's literally the same tree. And um, this tree becomes a template for satanic ritual abuse being perpetrated on people all over the world. Um, the 10 sephirot, as you go down the tree, are kind of like light filters, where you have Ein Sof, which is the limitless, unknowable light, creating in himself at a point called desire because of will, uh, the creation and it begins at Keter which is the crown and then his light will move down the tree into all of these different containers of light or vessels and then finally grounding out at Malkut which becomes the kingdom of the physical realm everything else becoming the spiritual world upon which 
the physical realm lies. And so you have hidden in Kabbalah, the design of creation, as well as the design of man, which is why it works so great as a programming template for deep occult uh, traumas. Now, through Kabbalah-related initiations and ascensions, one essentially tries to work their way up the tree, coming into greater illumination, right? So the whole objective is to get illumination by eventually crossing this thing, which is called the abyss, which runs through the at, which is knowledge, in order to come into the true light or the supernal triad. And, you know, now you're illuminated. So there's a whole lot of concepts to go along with that. We learned that Kabbalah completely rewrites the concept of the second Adam, who is Jesus. Why? Because uh, in Kabbalah, they invent a guy named Adam Cademan, who we're going to talk about today as we get into um, the Tetragrammaton. Adam Cademan becomes the primordial man found here at Keter. And the primordial man is nowhere to be found in the Bible. He exists only in the Kabbalistic literature. He projects from his forehead uh, the rest of the tree and basically is the one who creates physical man down here. So we're created in the image. Now, uh, because of that, the second Adam becomes physical man who takes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and causes a uh, imbalance in their cosmology, right? In our worldview, the first Adam is the one who rebelled against God, ate from the tree, opened the door to sin and death. And the second Adam is the one who comes and saves the world. So what are they doing? Strategically writing Jesus out of the cosmology. So there's no Jesus and they're looking for a different Messiah. Um, we also learned that Messiah ben Joseph is Metatron and Messiah ben Joseph is the guy that the, the Jews are looking for to return the glory to Israel by setting up a nation state of Israel, um, <laughs> literally uh, through political Zionism. And so they're, they're looking for political Zionism to produce their Messiah, they call him Messiah ben Joseph, who we have identified as our Antichrist, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so we learned that uh, Metatron is not a good person. He is not who they say he is. He is not our Yeshua Jesus. And frankly, um, ascending into his cube, which we talked about as well, is something Christians should avoid. Now, last week, we explored Jewishness and the plot of confusion to concoct this plan to push forward the greater plan of political Zionism by leaning on the church, which I'm sure offended a good number of people. But <laughs> there was a lot of likes on our YouTube. So <laughs> God's doing something. Um, this week, we're going to look into the Tetragrammaton, which is Yahweh. Okay. The Tetragrammaton is Yahweh. And a major aspect of Kabbalah focuses on establishing a divine connection with the creator through the sacred name. All right. Sacred name. What is the sacred name? The Tetragrammaton. This means an, uh, an ascent to Ein Sof the true creator of Elohim in Kabbalistic mythology, which we talked about, that Elohim is a silent creator in Bereshit, because the Genesis chapter 1, 1 says, Bereshit bara Elohim, Elef tav shemaim, Elef tav aretz. They 
change that from in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth to in the beginning, Ein Sof working with Keter and Chokma, like all of that just gets added somehow, mysteriously, um, creates Bara Elohim. So Elohim becomes the created one of Ein Sof, right? So, so, so Lucifer rewrites the whole script. Um, and of course, he demotes God and then excises Jesus from the entire script of Genesis 1-1. When we know that in our Bible, John 1 helps us to understand Genesis 1 when it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? So anyway, when we look at Kabbalah, they are trying to ascend to Ein Sof. So they do this by connecting with God, okay, and I put that in parentheses, as he is revealed through the ascending sephirotes of the Kabbalistic tree of life. What are those sephirotes? Again, here's our picture. These are the sephirotes. So as a person ascends through them, and here's another picture of it, they will come to greater and greater illumination. Now, according to McGregor Mathers, who is a translator to English of several books of the Zohar and a master occultist, okay, British occultist, uh, he is credited with pointing out that Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, is a most secret arcanum and is a secret of secrets. He concludes that this is the name that rushes through the universe. Now, we have to be really careful here as we get into this subject, because here's the thing. I am not going to tell you the name Yahweh is evil right? Because that's stupid. Yahweh is all through our Old Testament, and that is God's name, <laughs> right? But there is this weird thing that happens where the occult world has taken this name and used it for all kinds of ungodly practices. And, and the question is, well, why? Why are they using the name of our God for so much godlessness and, 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 and why is the Tetragrammaton not only a big deal in Kabbalistic circles, it's a big deal in New Age circles. It's a big deal in, in Freemasonry, right? It's a big deal in a, a lot of these systems of, of study. Well, because it's a big deal in Kabbalah. And Kabbalah is the root of Freemasonry and Illuminati. And um, at, 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 at the root of the New Age movement. You, you, you can't, if you took Jewish doctrine out of Freemasonry, you'd have nothing left but some old men hanging out, not knowing what to do with their evilness. And so we have to be careful how we rightly divide this, but it has to be rightly divided. And, 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 and the cultists, I, I mean, they agree. The, um, the name of Yahweh is a most secret arcanum and is a secret of secrets. And it's able to be used for all kinds of stuff, right? So this is the front cover of a book called The Key of Solomon, which was edited by McGregor Mathers. Uh, this is a very occult book, okay? <laughs> this is an occult symbol. Why do I have this up during our church? Because I want you to understand that I'm not making stuff up, right? Uh, that I am well-studied and well-referenced, and I know what I'm talking about. So 
It must be understood that Kabbalists use the sacred name of God in order to engage in an illegal access of the spirit world. And I'm going to illustrate beyond a shadow of a doubt that from an occult book called the Key of Solomon, translated by McGregor Matthews, this is exactly what it's teaching. Now, this is a magic circle, okay? This is actually a magic circle. And guess what's surrounding the magic circle? Tetragrammaton, 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 right? This is not Christian. This is not Old Testament. This is not wholesome. This is evil. And the tetragrammaton is all over it. What is all over it? Yahweh. It's Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. It's all over this thing. Why? Now, now let me show you what's going on, okay? So, so, so in this very occult book, they describe rituals. They, they actually tell you how to do them. Um, and, you know, here there's a little, uh, pretty, pretty useless, uh, isolated by itself. You can't actually really do anything with this. But I'm just illustrating something with this quote. It says, um, you know, take this knife, consecrate it. Uh, with this knife, you, um, you go beyond the inner circle, which you should have already formed. And uh, a second circle encompassing the other at a distance. Within this space, you know, you put the circumferential line. Thou shalt trace the line towards the four quarters of the earth, right? So they're tying this ritual to the tetragrammaton, which is Yahweh, to the four corners of the earth and to the Hebrew letters. You have to understand, this is Kabbalah. This is dark magic. And they're using Hebrew letters and names of God when they do it. So they, they use the letter Tav for this ritual. And between the first and second circle, they, they make four hexagonal pentacles. And between these, they write four other terrible and tremendous names of God. So you end up with these names, right? You end up with tetragrammaton all over the place. And you are deploying witchcraft based on Kabbalah using the tetragrammaton. You need to process this in order for us to really go deeper into this because th this is a big, big part of understanding what I'm going to tell you later. Okay, so as part of the ritual, you have to go around north, south, east, and west and chant the tetragrammaton, repeating it eight times, right? And you're moving the letters around. So you're actually chanting yod, hey, vave, hey, yod, vave, hey, hey, yod, hey, hey, vave, right? And, and, and so you're going around doing this. Now, this is Kabbalah, right? Because Kabbalists, Jewish mystics, they ascend the Kabbalah tree by chanting the names of God in meditative states. Like that's, that, that is the occult strategy. And, and what we need to understand is that Yahweh, Yahweh, yes, it is a name of God, but the, the practice of Kabbalah involves meditations and chanting of the name of Yahweh. And it leads to deep occult practices. In other words, in other words, the tetragrammaton is a hack on the spirit realm. It's a hack. It doesn't matter who the user is of this name or what their intentions are. Uh, this name unlocks spiritual 
realities. It can be used as a door. And so the occultists are all over this. And this is going to ultimately lead to our understanding of why, why we need to be very confident in our Yeshua and our Jesus and our legitimate access to the spirit world. Now, this is what's going to mess you up, right? Some so-called Christian leaders have begun opting for calling God Yahweh or Yahuwah instead of Yeshua or Jesus. They're leaving Jesus behind, right? And they're just like, well, you know, Yahweh, I, I'm going to teach you the Bible. I'm going to teach you Hebrew mysteries. And because I'm so smart and so intelligent and so well-studied, I'm going to use the name Yahweh. Um, and, and the implication is that this name is more accurate in addressing the true God. So I'm here to tell you, if a so-called minister is found to be replacing, and I'm not saying using, because I use the name Yahweh. I say that sometimes. But to be replacing the name of Jesus or the name of Yeshua with Yahweh consistently, it's indicative of a problem, right? Because that's what a warlock will do or a practicing Kabbalist. They're going to be using Yahweh because of its quote-unquote magical properties, because of the rituals they're doing with that name, because of the chanting they're doing with that name to access the spirit world, not through the gate of Jesus, but through the gate of this sacred name. Smoking gun. So we have to be careful, right? And, and, and I say it's likely when you run into somebody that's doing this, they're either A, unwittingly deceived by Kabbalistic doctrine, or if they admit to being a student of Kabbalah, <laughs> then they're doing this stuff intentionally. They are knee-deep in this, and they are using that name for its magical applications. And you should probably steer away from that. Now, here's the balance, right? The balance is that many compound names of God in the Old Testament begin with Yahweh. As, as a matter of fact, many of you have heard me use compound names, Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah Nisi. That's Yahweh. yod Hey vav Hey. Some people pronounce it Jehovah. Some people pronounce it Yahweh. Some people say Yahuwah, right? So there are different transliterations of those letters into English. And not everyone has agreed throughout history as to how those letters are to be pronounced. Um, but it's all the same name. Now, when compound names are engaged by, by well-meaning and well-intentioned Christians, the purpose is typically the revealing of God's character, nature, and identity. Because when we say Jehovah Jireh, that means God our provider. When we say Jehovah Nisi, that means uh, God our banner of victory. Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. Like that is his nature, that is his identity. And so we're seeing those identities being um, manifested in Jesus, our captain of our faith. He came to manifest the name of God to men. And I talk about this in our course on uh, the realm of Jesus Christ. Every characteristic of Yahweh is manifested to us through Jesus. But if you take Jesus out, 
and you use the name of Yahweh as a spiritual hack, now you're in the occult. You see how that fine line exists. You take Jesus out and you use the name as a hack. Now you're in the occult. And that's Kabbalah. They take Jesus out and they're using Yahweh. So now that I've explained that, you know, th th there, there is a balance. Okay. So this leads to the idea of taking the name of God in vain. All right. Now, when I was growing up, I was told to never use the word God or the name of Jesus to compose compound expletives, right? Like GD and, you know, um, you know, when, when you hear people use the, like Jesus Christ, but it's a swear word, <laughs> Jesus Christ, you know, it's like, I was told, don't do it. You're taking the name of God in vain. And that's against the commandments of the Bible. And I was quoted Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of your God, the Lord your God, in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And I'll put it in here in the chat for those of you that are following along, right? So we learn that, you know, God has enemies who take his name in vain, according to Psalm 139, verse 20. It says, for they speak against you wickedly, your enemies take your name in vain. Now, I always thought all my life that this meant that people were saying, you know, GD and using Jesus Christ as a swear word and, and other, uh, you know, things that are a little uncouth. And um, I later learned, you know, no, there's something much deeper going on here. There's something much deeper going on. And, and, and the truth is, uh, the practice of taking God's name in vain goes back thousands of years. What I showed you from the key of Solomon, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. They're taking Yahweh in vain. They're using it inappropriately in order to hack into the spiritual realm for ungodly and diabolical purposes. And this doesn't begin in 500 AD or 200 AD. I mean, it goes back. They were clearly doing this in the book of Psalms. Babylonian and Egyptian witchcraft tie into Kabbalistic mysticism. There are so many parallels. I mean, you can read the Emerald Tablets of Thoth and some of the books of Kabbalah, and there are a lot of parallels. So, so you know, at the end of the day, both are true, but the more egregious issue here is people hacking the name of God. And this is the Tetragrammaton as deployed by students of Kabbalah. Now, here's where it gets really messy. All right. Are you, are you guys ready for someone to say really messy? It's like, Daniel, you are in the pig pen. Right. So now we've, we've talked about the goal of Kabbalah. They, they want to establish Tikkun. Tikkun is a repair of the worlds. And because they believe that the Sephiroth tree is, is, is broken, the vessels are shattered. And so 
through the engagement of Torah and the Noahide laws, a large corporate mass of people doing this will be sufficient to bring about their Messiah. So they're trying to initiate people now into Jewish doctrine, which is Torah. And as they understand it, we've been over this over and over again, Torah is the Old Testament, the Babylonian Talmud, and the Mishnah, and Kabbalah. That together comprises Torah or their law, their religious texts. So they're trying to initiate Christians into this. So it should come as no surprise that through the Hebrew roots infiltration, there is a return to the commonplace use of Yahweh. Intentionally. This is, this is being engineered. It doesn't look like it's being engineered, but it is. And so what's happening is there is a departure from the Greek form of Jesus for sure. And an ongoing argument as to the correct pronunciation of Yeshua in the Hebrew language through the sacred name movement in the Hebrew roots larger context. What happens uh, pretty consistently is that this debate over the right application of the name Yeshua or Yahishua or Yeshua, who knows what the heck, right? Which one's right? Um, it pushes the student past the argument and right into the use of tetragrammaton. So it's, it's an inoculation. It's like, all right, we're, we're going to push you into this, but they're replacing Yeshua with tetragrammaton slowly, but surely. And all the while training up people to go back to the law, because guess what? They're secretly employing Christians to, do the Kabbalistic agenda of establishing Tikkun, the repair of the broken vessels, right? So, so this, is, this is the infiltration. We're talking about it. Now, is Yeshua likely the Hebrew name of, of, of Jesus? Yeah. Is there a problem with using the name Yeshua? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's the problem. I don't have a problem. My problem is the agenda behind the confusion and where it all goes. Now, in addressing Tetragrammaton, you have to address the secret name movement, right? Because maybe you're like me, but I've met more and more professing believers, right? And, and, and they, they don't know why, or maybe they do, but I meet more and more people that they, they literally get uncomfortable with the name Jesus, if I say Jesus, they're looking at me sideways. Like, I don't actually know God. Jesus. His name's Yeshua. And it's an accusation. It's like, don't you know? Don't you know? Or if I go on Tuesday to someone else, it's Yeshua. And, and, and there's a reason why this accusation happens. Okay. So we're, we're going to work through this. Right. Um, but this all comes back to the idea that, look, Jesus is not his actual name. That, that, that's the agreement of all of the people that are arguing about the actual pronunciation of the name of Jesus. They all agree Jesus is wrong. 
Jesus is not the right name. Jesus is something else. And, and so it, it, it's, it's much more than a mispronunciation. It's an absolute mischaracterization where everyone saying Jesus is actually pointing themselves towards another God entirely. And they need to be corrected on the pronunciation of the name, go back to the original Hebrew and call them by that name. Otherwise, they're probably going to go to hell. So they, they point on scriptures like Acts 4.12, okay? And it says this. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name. Okay, listen. None other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So they take that. Okay, now we're in sacred name. There's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. And if I can prove that Jesus is the wrong name, then you're going to have to say the name pronounced the way I tell you to pronounce it. Otherwise, you're not saved. So, <laughs> since there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved in their world, the name of Jesus is insufficient. We have to call on the proper pronunciation of Yeshua. Otherwise, God will be confused. Along with the whole spirit world. And we're going to go to hell. Going to hell, right? All these people from, from the death of Christ to 2016, 2019, right? All the way through. So many people in hell. It's like, why are you in hell? I love the Lord with all my heart. I believed in the Bible. I prayed. I worshiped. I tithed. I went to church. But I never knew that his name was Yeshua because we didn't have Hebrew concordances available to us on our internet connection in 1840. This is called the face palm. It's where you put your palm on your face because you've just come across something that's so ridiculous. You don't actually know that you have the right facial expression to communicate what you're going through on the inside. So you cover your face. <laughs> that's me on this whole thing, right? And I I've been here for, for years. I first came across the sacred name in like 2013. And I'm like, what is this? I've been navigating with Jesus all my life since I was three. I've had encounters. I've had radical prayer sessions. I've been delivered in the name of Jesus. I've seen other people set free and healed and all of this. And all of a sudden now, it's not supposed to work. I can only use the name Yeshua or Yahushua. Can't say Yeshua. I have to say Yahushua because you got it right and he got it wrong. <laughs> it, it. It's a mess. And, and people get caught up in this all the time, all the time. So, so um, what happens here, sacred name is, is part of the Hebrew roots movement. So what happens is they come and they say, well, you're using the wrong name. So you have to say Yeshua. And by the way, Yeshua, the true Yeshua of the Bible, came to point us to the Father. So uh, he came to fulfill the law so that we could be saved to the law. Okay, that, that's the idea. He came to fulfill the law so we could be saved to the law. Be, be, because 
Those are God's righteous requirements. So now, not only do I have to convert from Jesus to Yeshua, but now I need to convert from New Testament Christianity to a different religion. Now I'm wearing a tzitzit. Okay? Uh, now I'm trying to figure out how I'm supposed to fulfill righteousness without a physical temple with which to make animal sacrifices. Now I'm sending donations to help these political Zionists build a third temple in physical Jerusalem, where my Bible says Antichrist is trying to sit. It's right. So a lot of, like, and it's just incremental. So in, in their minds, Jesus came to point us to the Father. And for that reason, what actually happens is that we move past Jesus to Yahweh, right? Jesus is the door to Yahweh. And so, you know, okay, now you can't use Jesus anymore. You have to use Yeshua, Yeshua, or Yehoshua, whatever your camp may be. But let's just argue about that and make it so confusing. What we can all agree on is that Yahweh, that's God. That's who Jesus came to point us to. I'll prove it to you, right? So then they go to Isaiah 42, verse 8. Okay? Slow walk in this. Now organize this stuff. Isaiah 42, 8. I am... Translate our word, Yahweh. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. In other words, according to them, the proper pronunciation of Yahweh is a proper reference to the true God. Yeshua is just, you know, a convenient door, but we're going to engage with him, right? But that leads us down the path right into Kabbalah land where we're using the sacred name of God to hack into the spirit world by chanting Yahweh and doing all this stuff. Like I showed you with the satanic ritual articulated in the key of Solomon, my McGregor Mathers, <laughs> substituting Yahweh for Jesus. We're, we're, we're actually cutting Jesus right out of the whole process again. And it's systematic. It, it's actually intentional, but the way it's been deployed through the confusion in the body of Christ, it seems very circumstantial. Like one person's getting a piece here, one person's getting a piece here. We're just trying to put all the pieces together. You know, um, you know. Now, here's an interesting quote from the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, 15th edition, volume 10, page 786. It says, early Christian writers such as Clement of Alexandria in the 2nd century had used the form of Yahweh. Thus, this pronunciation of the Tetragrammaton was never really lost. Greek transcriptions also indicate that yod heh vav should be pronounced Yahweh. So, I do agree with the people that say Yahweh is the right way to say yod heh vav That's fine. I don't, I, I mean, I, I still use Jehovah because God has honored that every time I've spoken it with that transliteration, but I'm not going to, you know, get in a fist fight over someone that says, well, it's actually pronounced Yahweh because there is evidence in the historical record, even Encyclopedia Britannica that would, you know, point to that. But here's the mindset. Okay. Here's the mindset. I'm, I'm trying to be as fair and balanced as possible. The deduction is that Yahweh is the name of God and that other names like Adonai and El are simply titles. At the end of the day, 
the sacred name movement concludes that the sacred name really isn't Yeshua, but Yahweh, and that the word Jesus is absolutely intolerable. In other words, right, here's the conspiracy, in an effort to launch Christians into a worship of the Tetragrammaton, which is key in Kabbalah, because the whole belief system extracts Jesus from the equation, they are doing this. Now, the fact of the matter is that names are transliterated through many languages, right? <laughs> My name is Daniel. But did you know that I also respond to Dan? And I have relatives that have an accent. They might say, Daniel. Daniel. Sounds like Daniel. 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 Three different names. Couldn't possibly be the same person, could it? Let's write a doctrine about that. That's what they've done. It's ridiculous. I don't care if you have an accent or if you're coming from a different language. And, and here, here's the funny thing, right? Christians are, I mean, the ignorance level is just intolerable at times. I, I mean, Christians, you don't need any other spiritual weapons but the blood of Jesus. All of this courts of heaven, all of this legality, all these other weapons of warfare, it's, it's useless. You don't need it. You, there's nothing more that you need than the blood of Jesus. Oh, really? Okay, here's a survivor. Go get him delivered. Get out of there in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. First of all, you just said the name of Jesus, okay? But now that you got to the blood, are they delivered yet? Madam survivor, are you delivered yet? No. As a matter of fact, I hear the demons laughing at this guy because he's so ignorant. Yeah, yeah, they're laughing at you. And so am I. Because <laughs> you're an idiot. <laughs> um, it's a big joke, right? And so, but, but Christians are really good at selling themselves on bad ideas. It's a bad idea. It's like, it, well, if you know it doesn't work, then why do you keep teaching it and convincing yourself that it should work? Putting shame on everyone that it doesn't work for. You know, how many people have been wounded at a church where they said, the blood of Jesus, and you weren't delivered? So it's your fault. So, <laughs> so here we are with the um, sacred name, right? Does it hold up in practice? Have people stopped getting saved because they use the name of Jesus or the name Yesu or the name Jesus? No, <laughs> no. He actually is saving people in Mexico. He's saving people in Germany. He's saving people in uh, Swahili speaking nations and people groups like, you know, and, and there are different transliterations of Yeshua in all these languages. That doesn't mean it's a different person. And, and, and this is what, what's so stupid about this, this whole thing, you know, and um, I'm going to go back to my little share screen here. You know, there are many transliterations of Yeshua in many languages. <sighs> Let me move this over here. So I'm going to explain what's going on. But first, 
you need to see something else. I didn't show you this slide before, but I'm going to come back and show you now. See, the occult leans heavily on the Tetragrammaton because they use this sacred name of God as their illegitimate access point into the spirit world. The Tetragrammaton has power in the spirit world regardless of who uses it or with what intent it is engaged. And you can find all kinds of five-pointed stars, inverted what? Being used along with Tetragrammaton for the purpose of doing magic and rituals and spells and so forth. I'm not making this up. So, so here, here, here's where things get really messed up though, right? The targets of the sacred name doctrine find listening ears commonly among survivors. Um, among survivors. I find more survivors that are moving down the uh, slide of Hebrew roots than anyone else. That's that maybe that's just because I meet a lot more survivors than the average person or know that I'm meeting more survivors than the average person. But this is not um, without reason. And I'm going to tell you, survivors will fall prey to the pitch because they have fake Jesus programming. So survivors are predisposed to find the name of Jesus triggering, which sets them up to be a prime candidate for the deception of moving off of Jesus into a confusion of how to pronounce Yeshua and right on to Tetragrammaton, which resonates with deep parts of their programming because it's tied to the Kabbalatry upon which many survivors are templated through the rituals they went through. The Tetragrammaton will resonate deeply with deep, dark parts of them. It actually activates areas of their program. So, so it's a real slippery slope and it feels good to go down it. Um, survivors have been to skits in Masonic lodges where someone dresses like Jesus. Come in, perform a fake miracle. Let's put a, a guy at the front. In a wheelchair, you must have someone dressed like Jesus come out and say, I am Jesus. And I came to, you know, heal the sick. You, let's get you healed. Pull you out of that chair. And they'll have a group of children. They all clap. Now it's time for trauma. All the children are getting raped by Jesus. But Jesus is actually a Freemason at the 32nd degree who's been initiated through the system of Kabbalah. <laughs> right? Okay. And so... They are predisposing people to have a trigger on the name Jesus. Uh, people have been tortured at rituals where they have a cult member dressed like Jesus, fake beard and all, wig, long hair, robe, standing by. And they say, pray to Jesus so he delivers you. And the cult member's job is to stand there and laugh. Now, if that is being seeded into a person's subconscious and hidden behind amnesic walls, don't you think that it's going to be a little triggering when they sit in church? And even though they don't remember that or it's blocked, they're now having to reconcile how they're supposed to turn to Jesus to be their savior from all of their problems. Because deep down inside, someone in there believes that Jesus is useless. He can't be trusted. So, Survivors are often looking for a less triggering term because their parts don't trust Jesus. So 
someone comes along and says, well, Jesus, that's not even the right God. That feels validating. Doesn't that feel validating? It's like, wow, I'm validating. I always knew that that could be right. I don't know why, because I haven't seen the memories yet of the fake Jesus laughing at me. I haven't discovered the fake Jesus cloning center on the inside of me where a bunch of demons get Jesus costumes and they go around and torture all of my parts in the undiscovered city that's on the inside of me that I don't know about yet, right? We don't know any of that. We're just like, yeah, that feels right. So we go right into this search and we try to find the truth. Is it Yeshua? Is it Yehoshua? Is it Yeshua? Well, who cares? Because the sacred name of God is Yahweh. Oh, Yod, hey, vave, hey. Suddenly we hit a chord because we're programmed around rituals that have deployed that as an occult science. They worked it right into their system of magic. So now we're going to take this apart one step at a time, right? Everything that I just described to you actually falls apart with, with, with a few verses, you know, and uh, we can begin in, in John chapter 12, verse 23. It says, but Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me and where I am there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. In other words, we serve Yeshua. We serve Jesus to receive the honor of the father. We don't push Jesus aside and move right past him to engage the spirit world through sacred name. Approaches, right? That, that's another religion. Now, um, we move forward, verse 27, it says, now my soul is troubled. Jesus is talking, because he's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. He, he's actually addressing that in this passage of scripture, explaining what's going on. He says, my soul's troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now watch this. The Bible says in the very next phrase, then a voice came from heaven. You know, there came a voice from heaven when Jesus was baptized. It said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So that everyone would know that Jesus, Yeshua, was the son of God. And then the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. But there's another situation where a voice actually comes from heaven audibly. So everyone that's listening to Jesus talk hears it. And it's, it's here in uh, verse 28. It says, then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again, referring to what? The name, right? Jesus says, glorify your name. And the father says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. So what's happening? Jesus came to glorify the name of his father. God declared to those listening that he had glorified his name and would glorify it again. So they would not be confused about 
what the work of Jesus would mean for their understanding of Tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton is glorified in Jesus. Everything that it unlocks is designed to be unlocked in Jesus, not apart from him. Everything that it unlocks, the revelation of the character of God, the nature of God, the identity of God is being unlocked in Jesus Christ. So you can't take Jesus out of the equation and just go after sacred name. That takes you right into the occult. You have to go through the door of Jesus. Moreover, Jesus is the word. And for this reason, God chose to exalt his word above his name. Now you need to look at this. This is Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In other words, God is magnifying Jesus. <laughs> In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Get it? So all of the identity, all of the character, all of the manifestation of the Godhead bodily is found in Christ. In other words, God's plan for us is to engage him through his word, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, Yehoshua, or Yeshua, one of them. Translated into the Greek, yeah, Jesus, why not? Translated into Spanish, Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's about believing on the son, not pronouncing it right. Pronouncing it right is drawn right out of the occult application of yod heh vav -Hey because you have to pronounce it right. Because if you don't pronounce it right, the magical properties won't work for you as an occultist. Get it? Right? So all of this doctrine, so it's, it's straight out of Kabbalah, it's straight out of the occult, and it's messing people up. And, and coming back to a point I was making earlier, I was talking about practice, and I, and I kind of drifted off and meandered, um, but I was about to make a point, so I'm going to make it now. Right? We talk about the blood of Jesus, and it's like, dude, that's an ignorant statement. Well, we talk about, you have to cast out demons in the name of, of, of Yeshua, because Jesus won't work right. Jesus is the wrong name, it's the wrong God except that demons are leaving people in the name of Jesus in my ministry every day. I wrote the whole book, Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth, with the name of Jesus in it. And I have gotten a lot of testimonies from that book, from many of you. So you figure it out, right? So it, what happens is the assumption does not line up with practice. In practice, it falls apart. It doesn't make sense. And when something falls apart in practice, why do we keep arguing for it? The fact of the matter is, the God I serve responds to wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, mighty God, the first and the last, alpha and omega, bright and morning star, son of righteousness who will rise in my heart with healing in his wings, the kinsman redeemer, <laughs> the king of kings, the Lord of lords, high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I can call him any of those things. I'm still talking to the same person. So why is it going to get confused if I say Jesus is not Yeshua? And, and, and many times when I'm working with survivors, it's like, yeah, they are triggered by the name of Jesus because of the fake Jesus programming. So we're calling on Lion of the tribe of Judah. We're calling on Wonderful Counselor. We're calling on Shepherd. We're, we're calling on other names, titles, whatever you want to say. 
because God, I mean, this may come as a shock to some of you listening, especially if you fall and pray to this nonsense. I have to say it. God is not stupid. Right? Let me say that one more time, because some of you may have missed that. God is not stupid. He knows. <laughs> That's a Facebook quote. Okay. Um, so, so, so now moving forward, God's whole plan is for us to engage him through his word, which is Yeshua, Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Whoever believed on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's John 3, 16. God didn't accomplish his eternal purpose in the Tetragrammaton. He accomplished his eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is the manifestation of tetragrammaton and i will prove it to you john chapter 17 verse 6 says i have manifested your name isaiah 42 says my name is yahweh jesus said i have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world they were yours you gave them to me and they have kept your word so Furthermore, by engaging Jesus, we connect to God's eternal purpose and our role in it. It's not a mystical chant, a ritual, a magic circle, and a deployment of Yahweh to, as tetragrammaton that's doing that. We're connecting to God's eternal purpose and our role in it in Christ. So the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, not tetragrammaton, Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So everything that tetragrammaton was designed to reveal and unlock is to be explored in Christ. Through relationship. So to put the nail in the coffin, Holy Spirit who seals us unto the day of redemption does not come in the name of Tetragrammaton, but in the name of the Son. No Holy Spirit, no seal, no sonship. Let me say that again. No Holy Spirit, no seal, no sonship. John 14, 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus said, Holy Spirit's coming in my name. He didn't say in the name of the Father. He said, in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit is coming. Why? There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. But it is the name of Yeshua, Jesus Christ. In whatever language you may be pronouncing that in. So the Bible says in Ephesians 1.13, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, right? You have to trust in him to receive the Holy Spirit of promise, not chant the name yod heh vav -Hey around a magic circle. The Bible says in Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, there are the sons of God. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, 
If you don't have the seal, you can't be led. You're, you're not a son. So sonship comes through Holy Spirit who comes in the name of Yeshua, Jesus Christ. It can be more plain or clear. This is literally the straightforward teaching of New Testament Christianity. But we've been confused by another religion that's infiltrated the body of Christ. And it's so smart and it's so seductive and it's so complicated. It's really hard to sort this all out. It really is. I spend hours trying to sort this out so I can tell you about it, right? So now that we understand it is taking the Lord's name in vain to use Yahweh, that is Tetragrammaton, for its magical properties. And now that we understand that Jesus Christ is the manifestation of the Tetragrammaton to believers, making him our legitimate access point to the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at what Kabbalah does with the Tetragrammaton. Now, I'm going to take a vote because right now I am 10 minutes over. So we can either save this part of the message on Kabbalah and Tetragrammaton for next week. Or I can keep going. We have so far one vote to save it for next week and several votes to keep going. Two votes to save it. The, the question is, can you guys <laughs> going to be able to like digest this all? I mean, this is a lot of info. All right. All right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. But you may have to take the link and watch it again. <laughs> this is going to get a little deep, okay? So, so just put on your snorkel gear, put on your scuba dive kit, and now we're going deep. All right. So, so, uh, ooh, wow, this is, okay. I think we can do this. This isn't going to be so bad. This isn't going to be so bad. We, we can do this. So the Bible says in Genesis 1.27, the Bible says in Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them right so we know in christianity that we are created in the image of god now here's this really cool thing right tetragrammaton plays right into this real well how so so here's a picture you can look at this is up here the yod this is hey yod hey this is the vav and this is the hey yod hey vav hey what does it look like a man right Head, shoulders, arms, stomach, right? Legs, hips. It looks like a man. So here's what Kabbalists do. They begin by taking the Tetragrammaton and they spell it vertically, just like this. To show that Yahweh is God's name, which it is, and that God has truly created us in his image which he did. <laughs> so Yahweh spelled vertically looks like a person with two arms, two legs. And uh, at the surface, this will preach in any church. This is good stuff right here. I love this. This is so cool. It's like, whoa, I am created in the image of God. <laughs> He's encoded his name into my design. That is so amazing. But here's what happens. As with everything, Kabbalah starts with a grain of truth 
and proceeds to pervert it with a system of lies and deception, right? <laughs> that's what they do every time. It's like they hook you with something. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> and then it's like the next thing you know, you're in a cesspool. So now I'm going to explain to you the cesspool because at its surface, this is great. But in Kabbalah, the Yod, that's this up here, the head, is likened to Chokma. So now we're back in the tree, right? And the tree has meaning. So we're in the Sephiroth. So they liken the Yod to Chokma, and they call this the, the father. So, so, so Keter is the crown. It is Adam Cademan. And the light passes from Keter to Chokma, which is wisdom. And wisdom goes to knowledge, which is Bina. And this is likened to the father, and Bina is likened to the mother. Okay? And so they, they, now they're putting the yod heh vav -Hey up against the template of the tree. And um, when they liken the yod to, 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 to Chokma, they say that this is fire. Okay? And then they liken the hay to Bina, and they say, this is water. And Chokma and Bina come together to produce the sun. Haha, sounds like a stab at Trinity, but not really because it's Judaism and it's Kabbalistic mysticism. But Chokma and Bina come together in this like, you know, cosmic intercourse to produce the sun. Now they call the sun microprosopus or Vav. That's this, the center, the torso. So here, Yod and Hey come together through cosmic intercourse and they produce the Vav. And the Vav is associated with Tifret or beauty. Now, when they put this in picture form, the Chokma is represented by an upward triangle, the Bina as a downward pointing triangle, and they unite to point, form the six-pointed star. <laughs> and this becomes what they call a sign of the macrocosm. Don't worry, I'm going to help you here with the picture. It, it becomes a sign of the macrocosm and simultaneously the external symbol of Vav, the microposopus. So th this is all terminology in your head spinning, I know. So I'm just going to break it down. Now, <clears throat> basically, right? They're saying we have a triangle. It's called Chokma. This is fire. That's why it's orange. We have a triangle. It's called Bina. It's water. And we're going to put them together in cosmic intercourse and we get this star. Right, the star of Remphan. <laughs> and it's the macroprosopus. This is um, the pattern of the, uh, 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 of the higher realms. And then this macroprosopus gets mirrored as the seal of microprosopus. And... Uh, the microprosopus, of course, turns out to be none other than Metatron, and this becomes the Metatron's cube. Okay, so let's look at this from a quote, all right? Uh, now, it must not be forgotten that these forms in Ezekiel's vision support the throne of the deity, whereon the heavenly man is seated, Adam Cademan, right? So Adam Cademan holds this, this image, okay? And... And, and Adam Cademan is there, remember, first Adam, and he is also the creator of the second Adam, which is physical man, okay? So he holds in himself in Keter everything, the whole pattern. 
So they, it goes on and it says, and the mystery of the earthly and mortal man is after the mystery of the supernal and immortal one. Comparing Adam Cademan and human Adam. And thus was he created the image of God upon the earth. Oh, watch this. Now we tie tetragrammaton right into this whole thing. This is, this is where the picture comes from. In the form of the body is a tetragrammaton found. The head is yod. The arms and shoulders are like hay. The body is vav and the legs are represented by the hay final. Therefore, as the outward form of man corresponds to the tetragrammaton, dot, dot, dot. The first two letters, yod and hay, are the father and mother of microprosopus and H is final. The final H is his bride. Now, this, this is part of the Kabbalah unveiled, okay? By none other than McGregor Mathers, our British occultist, who published this work on Kabbalah through this theosophical publishing company. This is Kabbalah doctrine that comes through Jewish mysticism. So the Jewish mystics that speak English are studying from books in their collection that were translated by a Satanist. Wonder why. So this all comes to a really startling point. You don't have to follow me and trust that this is going to land because it will. So just give me a minute. The macro prosopis is Adam Cademan. And it is the tetragrammaton overlaid upon the creative template holistically and also in Keter. And this is, of course, Yahweh. Now, the microprosopus takes this, and um, I'm going to just draw you a little picture here. So let me get out of this for a second. Uh, I'm going to draw you a little picture here to help you exp help explain. Um, this right here becomes the microprosopus. So they take a part of the tree out of the tree and they associate that with the Vav, which is the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And in three Enoch, Metatron, who we talked about as being synonymous with our biblical Antichrist, according to second Thessalonians chapter two and all the other study we did in a former session, um, we, we learned that Metatron is given the title Little Yahweh. Why? Because the seal of the macroprosopus is copied onto him. This up here becomes this down here. This holistically becomes this in here. And so we have the microprosopus being their Metatron and the bride or Malkut or Shekinah being the hay at the bottom. See that? So Metatron is Messiah ben Joseph and Malkut becomes his bride. Now, why does this matter? Well, Metatron as the little Yahweh, who we have already proven is synonymous with what our New Testament calls Antichrist, is symbolized as the Vav or the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet as microprosopus. The microprosopus has six members revealing six sides and six faces. It is a microcosm of Yahweh based on the six points referenced. In other words, six, six, six. Okay. <laughs> Moreover, like Jesus, he has a bride that's designed to come out of the earth as well. This comes straight from the doctrine of McGregor Mathers in, in what he translated from the book of the concealed mystery, Master Kabbalist. 
The sense is six members were created, which are the six numerations of microprosopus. Benignity as his right arm, severity as his left arm, beauty as his body, right? These are all points on the Kabbalah tree associated with the Metatron's cube, which some people are saying Christians should be ascending into, right? These are the points. And he's talking about it. He's talking about what's there because those points have meaning. And I want to just take a moment here and just explain. There are four-dimensional shapes, just like there are three-dimensional shapes and two-dimensional shapes. But the idea of Metatron's cube has meaning. It is specific meaning. It is associated with the belief system. Those points, they are part of the actual existing government of Lucifer. And when you look at a four-dimensional cube as a four-dimensional cube, and it is just a shape that is one thing, it is entirely different to attribute this belief system to your spirituality with their terminology and go into the Metatron's cube through mystic applications. And, and so he, he continues to describe these points. Victory as his right arm, glory as his left leg, the foundation as his reproductive. That's Yased, the foundation. Uh, for instead of Bereshit, in the beginning, it may be read Bereshit, Bereshith. He created the six. Upon these depend all things which are below, principally the queen who is the lowest path or the bride of microprosupus and all the three inferior worlds. So this is what we get. Microprosopus, six points, six sides, six faces. And we have this microcosm where, again, the entire Yahweh becomes little Yahweh inside of this portion of the tree. Now, what does all this add up to? The wrap-up. In Kabbalah, Bina and Chokmah become the supernal father and mother giving birth to microprosupos, or who they call Elohim. If we use basic logic to put the pieces of Kabbalistic mythology together, microprosopus equals, equals Kabbalah's Elohim equals Metatron equals 666 equals Antichrist. <laughs> he calls us all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand, on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name here is wisdom let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man his number is six 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 it is that time god bless you all You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Be sure to subscribe to our channel, like our video, and share this with friends. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.